Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Our first chapter of Colossians this morning. We're in the midst of Paul's defense of his ministry. Now, when I say defense, I mean that he's sharing with them why he's giving them this strong exhortation and from whom he received his authority to do that. He's never been to the little church in Colossae. Their pastor came to him to ask for his help and his encouragement. And Paul writes these four chapters of Colossians to encourage and strengthen the believers there to stay the course not be swayed by those bringing in false teaching. And that's what Pastor Epaphras was concerned about happening to his small congregation. In the first chapters of Colossians, Paul strongly hits the topics of the heresy that has been swirling around that church group with the truth of the supremacy of Christ. He actually counteracts these heresies in the first two chapters he writes, and then we'll find in the last two chapters, he talks about the behavior of believers that should come in response to an understanding of who Christ is and what he has accomplished through salvation. He gives a truth and then the application. He always is doing that in all of his letters. Now, it's important for the Apostle Paul, as he sends this letter back with Epaphras, their pastor, that he give the Colossian Christians some reason to believe him. They've never met him either. They've heard about him. And he does that at the end of this first chapter, verses 24 through 29, which Evan read for us this morning. Now, a couple of weeks ago, last week with our missions conference, so two weeks ago, We began looking at the eight features of ministry that were the basis of his ministry. But as we look at them, we realize that they are, in reality, the basis for all ministry, the basis for your ministry, the basis for my ministry. And first, we talked about the source of ministry. In verse 25, he says, I have become its servant, the servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by The commission God gave me. God is a source of all ministry. It's God's choice, not ours. There Again, as we mentioned before, there are too many Christians who try to pick and choose ministry to their comfort level, to what they think they can do, according to the convenience, perhaps, or abilities, rather than asking God, what do you want me to do? And our missionary Donnie, he spoke one of the Times I don't know if it's a men's, men's breakfast, whether it's a ladies' luncheon, but talking about the yeses. When God speaks, we are just to say yes. 
and go with it, and he will provide the means. Secondly, Paul talks about the attitude of ministry. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. He begins in verse 24 by saying, Now I rejoice. The attitude of ministry should be one of joy. And if it's not, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why aren't I speaking? Uh, why aren't I experiencing joy? What, what's going on with my relationship with the Lord? Thirdly, we looked at the suffering of the ministry. This morning during our spiritual growth class, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah talked about the suffering and the joy. I rejoice, Paul says, in what I am suffering for you. And we looked at the reasons why suffering is a positive thing and why we can rejoice it. It brings, brings us nearer to Christ because Christ went through it. It brings us an assurance of salvation. Uh, if we are suffering, we know that the enemy is fighting against us, and so we're doing something right in the Lord. It brings a future reward, promises of what we're going to receive, and it brings salvation to others. As we suffer for the sake of others, bringing the gospel, they will hear. The fourth thing that we studied last time was a scope of the ministry, and that was in verse 25, where Paul said to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. That was Paul's scope at that moment. The scope is always just to do what God has called you to do, to maximize our efforts, to fulfill what God has called each of us to do at any given moment, and that is to present the Word of God in its fullness to whomever God brings to us. Now that brings us to the fifth aspect of ministry, which is the message, the message of the ministry. What is it that we are saying? What is it that we are proclaiming? What is our message? Well, verse 26 tells us exactly what it is. It's the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Well, that clears it up, doesn't it? We preach the mystery. That's our message. Incidentally, ages and generations that Paul talks about here is a kind of a colloquialism referring to times in the past and the peoples in the past. We are to teach people the mystery that's been hidden from them, those in the past, from the very beginning. So what is this mystery thing all about? Well, let's talk about the concept of mystery in Scripture just for a moment. Uh, really quite, quite interesting. Did you know, number one, God has always kept some secrets? It's true. There are always some things that God alone knows. After all, He is God. And we don't have an answer for them. At least on this side of heaven. You know, there's a great verse that comes to mind when something that happens that we don't understand, or we, why God, I, I don't get it. We can come back to this verse. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. You see, God tells us what we need to know. We're on a need-to-know basis. He knows what we need to know to love Him and to follow Him. And there are some things that we just don't need to know. We might want to know, but we don't need to know, and we don't need to know, or we don't need to know right now. He might reveal it at some point in time. Secondly, God has some secrets that he has revealed to special people all through history. Not everybody knows them, just special people. You say, well, who are they? 
Well, Psalm 24, verse 14 says this, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. That's from the King James Version. Fear, to hold in awe, to, to worship, not to be afraid of, of course. The NIV says the Lord confides in those who fear Him. In Proverbs 3.32, it tells us that the Lord takes the upright into his confidence. What does that mean? The special people that God shares his secrets with are the righteous. They are the ones who believe in God. They are the ones who commit themselves to him. They are the ones in whom the Holy Spirit lives, whom the Holy Spirit speaks to, illuminates, and uses. They are the children of God, the special people. Guess what, folks? You're special. We are part of that special group of people. We are part of the righteous. Then thirdly, there are some secrets which God hid from everybody in the past, but now in the New Testament, he reveals to all the Lord's people. Those are the mysteries to which Paul is referring to here in our passage this morning. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's, the Lord's people. So, what's the mystery? The mystery in the New Testament is, excuse me, the mystery is the New Testament and all that it contains. First and foremost, it's the revelation of Christ incarnate, um, which is a story of God coming to man, of God in human flesh. That's the mystery. That's the sacred secret. But under the umbrella of that great secret, under the umbrella of that great mystery revealed in the New Testament is the mystery of sin and God's solution for it, the mystery of the rapture when Christ comes back to take his people, the mystery of Babylon in Revelation 17, some form of evil that's never been revealed previously, the mystery of the church. The church is not seen in the Old Testament. The ancients had no clue about the church. Uh, The mystery of Israel's unbelief. The Old Testament never saw a time when Israel would totally abandon God. That was inconceivable to them. The mystery of godliness, the mystery of the Holy Spirit living in us, and so much more, the mysteries of the New Testament. That's what Paul is saying in verses 25 to 26. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, all the secrets in its completeness, to present the rest of the story, if you will. The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. What then is the mystery of our ministry? It is to present the good news of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness, which is revealed to us in the New Testament. So, aren't we supposed to preach the Old Testament? Yeah, we are. Absolutely, but the fullness of our message is all the mysteries of the New Testament, which now makes the Old Testament meaningful to us. You see, our message is to show how all the Old Testament prophecies and promises have come true in the New Testament in Christ. And that's that mystery. Now notice verse 17. Here's the grand reveal. To them... To whom? To those who believe. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, wait for it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a great mystery and all that it entails. Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. You see, in the Old Testament, the Jews knew the Messiah was coming. They were told that. They spoke of it. What they never really fully knew was that the Messiah would not only come, but he would come to live in us. And that our bodies would become the temple of the living God. They didn't know that. That was a mystery. And our message that we have to announce to the world today is that every man and woman can have the hope of glory. A glory manifest now within us and a hope of future glory with God for all of eternity because Christ is now in us. He says there in verse 27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What are those riches? Well, it's all the blessings we have in Christ. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1. You've heard this before, but listen again. Verse 3, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him. He decided ahead of time, before the creation of the world, that we were to be holy and blameless in His sight In love, he predestined us for adoption. Again, he decided ahead of time that those who believed in his son would be adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into full effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's a lot. Next time you're tempted to say, you know, I'm just a poor Christian. No, that's a lie from, from the pit of hell. We are not. We are rich in Christ, who, Paul says, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says, God wants the saints to know the riches of the glory of this mystery. Do you know how rich you really are? Have you ever thought about that? Down a couple of verses in Ephesians 1, verse 18, he tells us, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in all his people. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We are rich because as Gentiles, because as the church, Christ is in us. And this is the message. This is a subject of the ministry to tell people. Hey, did you know that the living God wants to come and live in your life? What an amazing reality. It's a concept that people just don't understand. No other religion teaches that. They cannot. Our faith is based on a relationship with a living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. No other religion claims that. They can't because they deny Christ. 
Paul expands on the concept of this mystery in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, where he says, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together in one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The Gentiles never had a concept even that that might even be possible. The mystery is that the Jew and the Gentiles are made fellow heirs to receive and possess God within them. Have you ever asked someone, uh, did you know that the living God wants to live in you? Might try that sometime. If you're looking for a divine resource for living, if you're looking for a divine strength during a time of failure, if you're, if you're looking for power, if you're looking for understanding, if you're looking for the direction in your life, if you're looking for salvation, if you're looking for hope for the future, God wants to live in you. What more could we ask? That's the message. That's the subject of the ministry. Why? Because as Paul tells us in Colossians 2, Verse 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, people are chasing after wisdom and knowledge everywhere except where they ought to be. All the wrong places. They're looking for it in man's so-called science. That's not where it's found. It's found in Christ and in God's Word. But because people reject Christ... And reject God's word, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God gave them over to the depravity of their hearts. Their choice, not God's choice. And we see that depravity manifesting itself in our culture today to a degree that we've never seen before. Folks, it's Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He is so rich in knowledge, so rich in wisdom, so, so rich in mercy and in grace and in love. He's so rich in everything, and he placed it all in us. It's all at our disposal. It's an, it's an incredible reality when we actually stop and ponder it. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.19 that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why? So all that is avail all of those available resources and power could be used by us. That's our message. That's the subject of the ministry. It's all found in Christ. So we see the source of ministry, we see the attitude of ministry, we see the, the suffering of ministry, the scope of ministry, the message of ministry. And in verse 28, we see the, the method of the ministry. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So how do we go about doing that? By proclaiming, he says. That's the language of mission. It refers to declare, declaring a completed truth, something that has been accomplished. 
And that's what Paul did, proclaimed without fear. There are too many Christians that have fallen under the false assumption that we have to be quiet. Don't say anything. You're going to get somebody upset. Don't offend anybody. After all, the good news of Jesus Christ might be offensive, so let's just not say anything. Folks, proclaiming is to open our mouths. People say, well, I I witness by my actions. Well, that's good. (laughs) We ought to be doing that so that uh, people don't see us as hypocrites that they think we all are. But folks, that is not good enough. It's good, but not good enough. Proclaiming is to open our mouths. Those around us are not going to understand and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ by watching us live good lives. There are a lot of non-believers that live good lives. Living our life does not replace proclaiming his life. And this proclaiming that Paul is talking about um, isn't only formal preaching, it is simply speaking the truth. And there are actually two parts that Paul brings out. It has a negative, there's a warning, and in a positive, there's a teaching. And it has an end in mind, wisdom to be imparted. Paul says, admonishing and teaching, that's proclaiming. Admonishing and teaching equals proclaiming. What's admonishing? Well, that's a warning. Here's a Greek definition for the word being used here to admonish. It means encouraging counsel in view of sin and coming punishment. It's just what we do with our our own kids, don't we? Keep that up. You're in real trouble. <laughs> Encouraging counsel in view of sin and impending judgment is <laughs> to be done gently, but it's to be done firmly. Every Christian has that responsibility. That's part of what, we don't like that part of the responsibility, but we all have that responsibility as part of proclaiming. Jesus used it often. John 3, 16, where he's encouraging, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's encouraging. That's teaching. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's encouraging. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's admonishment. An encouraging warning. An encouragement to turn to Christ before it's too late. Every one of us has that responsibility to admonish. And the second aspect on the, on the positive side is the teaching part. If we want to do anything, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to share the positive, impart, imparting positive doctrine or positive, positive truth. Actually verbally, again, verbally sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the loving thing to do, even if you don't think they want to hear it. By not saying anything, we may be condemning that person to eternal judgment. How then, Paul asks, can they call on the, on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? What Paul is saying is that we all are to be proclaimers. It doesn't have to be standing up in front preaching to a crowd But we all need to be building relationships, sharing with our new friends. We are all mouths for the Lord to warn them and to teach them. 
So what then is the objective of ministry? What's the goal? Well, Paul tells us in, at the end of verse 28, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. There it is. The maturity of the believer. That's the objective of preaching the message, preaching this mystery. In Ephesians chapter 4, he, he says it well. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's part and parcel of preaching the gospel part and parcel of sharing the good news. It's not just once and done or once said and done. The Great Commission says go and what? Make disciples. It's a process. It's that maturing process, bringing a person to Christ, continuing to, the, uh, to teach the person to the point of attaining the full measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In essence, that's a lifelong process for each one of us. Paul knew that. He talked about himself in that process. He says in Philippians 3, not, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He hasn't become perfect yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says that he himself hasn't reached the goal. He hasn't reached perfection. He hasn't reached full maturity. But he's continuing to work towards it, and he wants to bring others along with him in the process. So what's perfection? To be like Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is, is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Perfect, the Greek means, the Greek means complete, perfectly fitted so that God can equip us for every good work. The only way to arrive at that completeness in Christ being made perfect for him is by taking his book, his word, and making it our life. Not making it a part of our life, but making it our life. You know, a child matures physically because they eat. A Christian matures because they feed on the word of God. That's the goal. The objective is to bring people to maturity. This is what was on the heart of Pastor Epaphras from Colossae when he came to Paul. Over in chapter 4, there in Colossians, verse 12, Paul shares Epaphras' heart with them. He says, Epaphras, he said, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That was Epaphras' heart that all of his people would be mature in Christ. And that too should be the goal and the objective of each one of us. To intentionally build relationships on purpose to bring people to Christ and then work with them towards their maturity in Christ. 
So how are we supposed to do all of that? Well, that's our eighth and final point. The strength of the ministry. How is it all possible? Verse 29, to this end, what end? To accomplish what Christ has set out for me. To this end, I strenuously contend. The King James Version says, I labor. The word means to grow weary, tired, and exhausted in my labor. That's how much we need to be laboring. So first of all, we're going to do, uh, to do this. If we're going to do this, we're going to have to work hard to the point of exhaustion. D David Brainerd, uh, many of you know his name, a missionary to the Seneca and Delaware Indians in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. In the early 1700s, and only living to 29 years old, he said, I hardly ever so long to live to God and to be altogether devoted to Him. I want to wear out my life in His service and for His glory. He died ministering to the Native Americans in Pennsylvania. Now, my father used to tell me, you know, I can never understand preachers who say, I burned out in ministry. Will God actually allow that? Is Christ not sufficient? Are we even allowed to burn out in ministry? Paul, as he's coming to the end of his life in ministry, as recorded in Acts 20, writes, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, I'm going to keep on preaching and laboring and preaching and suffering and preaching until the day I die. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he shares a little bit about the suffering that he went through. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews a 40 lashes minus one. Can you imagine five times? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So when he says here in Colossians, to this end I strenuously contend or I labor, he speaks from experience and encourage us not to grow weary in ministry. Yeah, but pastor, I'm tired. I've been doing this for years. It's getting to me. I'm not sure how long I can keep it up. I'm doing my best, but I, I just feel like I'm, I'm giving out. Ah, but that's where we get the help. That's when we get the help. Paul labored, for sure, to the point of exhaustion, but he could, he could do all that because he tells from where he gets his strength. Look at the next part of verse 29 again. To this end, I strenuously labor with all the energy of Christ, which so powerfully works in me. We need to remember that. 
We need to remember that part of that verse. It's easy to forget when our physical bodies just begin to slow down and begin to wear out and grow weary. If God has called us to do something for him, he expects us to say yes and then step out in faith, trusting him. And as we do that, he gives us that energy of Christ. It's not just a little bit. It powerfully works in us. But we need to trust him and be willing to be obedient. Yes, we can work hard from a human standpoint. And there are a lot of people do, uh, that do that, even in the church settings. But if that's all it is, folks, it's worthless. Our work is burned up in a pile of ashes because we're doing it in our energy. We're doing it for ourselves. If anything is accomplished, it's not because I've done anything. It's because He did it. He energized. He gave the power and He gave the resources. Think about yourself. Think about your own ministry. What ministry has God called you to? What ministry is available that you could step into that God might be kind of, uh, hey, look at that. It could be done. When I went to seminary, one of the requirements of seminary that was that we had to, at least for two, two of the years, we had to be involved in ministry in a church. All the Alliance churches were a little bit further away, and there's those ministry positions were already filled, and so we started attending a Baptist General Conference church, a good, strong, Bible-believing church. And I told my wife, I said, okay, I, we need to look, I need to look for a ministry. Um, I'm willing to do anything except junior high youth. So we went there, and, you know, they've, they've got the bulletin right, and so I was looking down, ministry is available. Seriously? Junior high youth. That's the only one available. So I thought, okay, here we go. That was an amazing ministry. Because it, I wasn't versed in junior high. <laughs> I didn't, junior high is just crazy people. <laughs> they do weird stuff. But the Lord gave us amazing ministry for those years that I was there in seminary. It was a blessing because the Lord said, that's what I want you to do. It took me a long time to learn to not say, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Junior high ministry, youth pastor, Africa, largest city in Africa, among the Muslims. Those are all things I didn't want to do. He had me do them all. Great sense of humor. But at the same time, I knew it was him that was doing it. It wasn't me. It wasn't even my desire. It was his desire. And we give that over to him. He empowers us. He gives us all of Christ's energy and works powerfully in us to do that. Folks, we have to get to the point in our hearts and minds to recognize the source of ministry. That's God. It's not our choice, not our preference. The attitude of ministry is joy. The fact that there will be suffering in ministry and we should rejoice in it. The scope of ministry, what is God asking me to do right now that I can do with all my strength and preach the fullness of the gospel. The message of ministry, the mystery of the fullness of Christ. The method of ministry to proclaim by admonishing and teaching. 
the objective of ministry to bring the believer to maturity in Christ, and the strength of ministry is all the energy of Christ which so powerfully works in me. Last Sunday for Missions Conference, we, cl- we didn't close. We sang a, a great song. It was new to some of you. It was uh, familiar to others called The Mission, and we sung, sung it as a missionary song. But I looked at the, at the words, and I thought, it's exactly what Paul's talking to us about, all of us about. And the chorus says, to love the Lord our God is a heartbeat of our mission, to spring from which our service, the spring from which our service overflows. Across the street or around the world, the mission's still the same. Proclaim, there it is, proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. Father, this morning we thank you that we have that truth, the one and only truth that gives us life, that gives us peace, that gives us joy, a truth that we, we receive by grace and by mercy coming from you and you alone. And Father, I pray that you would embolden us to proclaim this mystery, this joy, this hope in Christ that others can have. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us with all the strength in Christ that so powerfully works in us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.